One of the most important words that we use in the Christian church is the word faith. We talk about having faith or keeping faith. We even call our religion the Christian faith. Faith, excuse me. Uh, but the definition of what faith is can be difficult to articulate. Often people will quote uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 as a definition. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. But what are those things that are not seen that we are convinced of? In truth, there are several things uh, that we could talk about. For us this morning, we're going to talk about and focus on one in particular. Our story for this morning uh, reveals that one essential aspect of faith is continuing to trust that Jesus is good and loving, even when it seems that he's not. And if we're honest, Jesus does not seem to be either good or loving for some of this story. Uh, we hear first uh, that Jesus takes off to the region of, of Tyre and Sidon, which is um, right at the edge of Gentile country. Uh, we don't know if he actually passed all the way into Gentile territory or if he was just very near, but either way, he definitely has an encounter with a, um, a Gentile person, Gentile woman in this situation. Um, we hear in verse 22 specifically that a Canaanite woman from the vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, help me. There's a great deal about that encounter that I just read about that would have been shocking to the people of both the time and the place. Matthew says, for one, that uh, this person is not only a Gentile, but a Canaanite. That, uses, that word is not used much in the New Testament, but it is a reminder that the Canaanites were the original occupants of the land when the Israelites first arrived. And they came to symbolize for the Israelites all that was wrong with the pagan world. Um, and they were enemies at heart. So not only is this person a Gentile, they are a Canaanite, and not only is this person a Canaanite, but this person is a Canaanite woman. Women were not supposed to confront men. And the way she confronts him is rude. She wasn't merely crying out as we hear this. More literally, she was screaming. It's a very dramatic word. She was screaming, and since the verb is in the imperfect form, it means that she was continually screaming. So with all of that in mind, it might seem like Jesus's first response is maybe even a little bit kind, that Jesus doesn't say a word. And I say that because his disciples are far more openly critical. 
His disciples say to him, Send her away, for she keeps screaming out after this. They want to get rid of her. So maybe Jesus' silence is a little bit kind. But think about it from the woman's side for a moment. We heard why she is approaching Jesus at all. It's because her daughter is, is being terrified by this demon possession. She's in a horrible condition. And she wants Jesus to heal. Somehow she's heard about Jesus, who's Jewish, and so not a part of her general community. Somehow she's heard about Jesus being able to heal, and so she shuns all of her own pride and goes to seek help from an enemy of her people. She risks total public humiliation by approaching a man at all, and then for pleading for his help, even at one point kneeling before him. But she's a mother, and her daughter is in desperate need, and so she crosses all sorts of boundaries for her daughter's sake. And that is one more thing that's very important for us to understand. that She's not even doing this for herself. She's doing this for her daughter. I mean, to me, this seems like the kind of moment where Jesus' heart would be broken with compassion. Where we would hear that great Greek word that I love to say, splagnizomai. It's an onomatopoeia that is his guts just poured out for her in compassion. This seems like one of those moments where he would cross over all man-made boundaries to reveal the breadth of God's love and God's grace. And yet, the very first thing Jesus does is nothing. He doesn't say a word, we hear. Then, after she continues, and the disciples want him to get rid of her, even then, what we hear is, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Then when she further humbles herself before him by coming to him and kneeling and saying, Lord, and she even uses Lord. You'll notice that the disciples didn't even use Lord when they were addressing Jesus. They just said, get rid of her. But she even says, she kneels and says, Lord, help me. And then we hear the worst of all. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Folks, there are a lot of commentators, a lot of people who write about this section who don't want this to sound as bad as it is. There are those who believe that when Jesus said this, he said it to her with a twinkle in his eye, like he was teasing. Some think that he was testing her to see how long, you know, how, how much did she really want her, or testing his disciples to see if they would show compassion for her. There are also some who think that the form of the word dogs uh, that Jesus used is the key. He uses, and this is true, he uses a form uh, of, the, of dogs that was sometimes used for puppies or for house pets rather than street dogs. Uh, 
the idea is that Jesus is creating some sort of quaint domestic scene to soften all of this. I believe that when we let Jesus' words stand starkly as they are, we can even better understand how Jesus and why Jesus finally not only grants her request, but praises her faith. When Jesus started his public work, he was very clear that his mission was to seek out and renew God's covenant people in their relationship to God, the Jewish nation of Israel. That did not mean, though, that salvation was ultimately for Jewish people alone. The idea in the Hebrew First Testament was that the entire world would be blessed through the Israelites. Dale Brunner notes then, like much of Israel, Jesus believed that the Gentile world was to be reached, but the reaching of the nations was through the nation of Israel. Thus, Jesus concentrated his mission like a steady beam of light on that minute part of the world called the nation Israel. The idea being that when Israel ignited with righteousness, she would illumine all the nations. But this Gentile woman's pain and humility caused Jesus to at least pause and wonder if, maybe, space could be made for her through him even in that moment. His first response to her, at least, is neither yes or no, it's silence. And perhaps he's thinking. His first spoken response is prompted by the disciples saying, send her away. And then his first spoken response is, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. But notice that Matthew writes simply, he answered. Whom is he answering? The woman? Or the disciples. But again, either way, uh, it's still not a flat out no, I won't do this. When she kneels before him and begs this time, and he makes that comment about dogs, again, Matthew just says he responded to her or maybe even to himself. Whomever he was responding to, the woman persisted because Jesus still had not said no, a flat out no, I won't help you. I side with the commentators who believes that this woman's brilliant response to his comment, her brilliant response about how at least the dogs get the crumbs, from their table, the master's table. That comment revealed to Jesus himself that his own work on earth included Gentiles. Anna Case Winters writes this. It seems a text that confirms what we have affirmed in principle theologically, that Jesus was not only truly divine, but also fully human. In spite of this theological af affirmation, 
readers and interpreters often resist the textual evidences of Jesus's humanity and limitations. Could it be that Jesus was actually still learning about the fullness of the divine embrace and the scope of his own calling? Is it so hard to imagine that Jesus might actually have learned something in the encounter with the Canaanite woman? I believe that Jesus did learn something. I believe that she taught him something from this encounter. I mean, listen again to our New Testament passage. While Jesus lived on earth, anticipating death, Jesus cried out in pain and wept in sorrow as he offered up prayers to God. Because he honored God, God answered him. Though he was God's son, he learned trusting obedience by what he suffered, just as we do. And then having arrived at fullness of maturity. Arrived at fullness of Maturity means that he hadn't always been fully mature. That this woman, I believe, helps him to strengthen his knowledge, to reveal to him uh, something new he learned from her. This woman's persistent faith that Jesus would heal her daughter, even when Jesus' own words sounded so discouraging, helped Jesus to understand his role in the world. Dale Brunner puts it this way. And so, in a sense, the struggle is over. For Jesus, as well as for the woman and her daughter, both parties are now made whole. The daughter is freed from demons, and Jesus is freed from doubt. Unclarity about the will of God is a kind of brokenness, a, a kind of cross. The woman's faith healed, as it were, Jesus' own bent perception of the will of his father. Jesus knew that faith such as this woman's was the point of his coming. And so Jesus grants this mother her request and her daughter is healed. But even more importantly for us, Jesus also publicly praises her faith. And it always sounds a little harsh uh, when, when Jesus says woman. Um, it actually was a, a, a perfectly acceptable acknowledgement of to whom he was speaking to. But Jesus answered, woman, you have great faith. Go. You get your your." desire is granted. Archie France notes that no one else receives this specific praise of great faith from Jesus. Jesus doesn't say this about anybody else, but he says about this woman that she has great faith. Jesus publicly recognized her, and Matthew recorded this story in order to lift her up as an example for all followers of Christ, for our own faith. This woman reveals what faith looks like. First of all, she went to Jesus because she believed that he could heal her child. Next, she didn't perceive or let it change her opinion 
She didn't perceive Jesus' silence as rejection. She also continued to wait on Jesus even when the disciples who were representing him were making it more difficult for her to approach Jesus and clearly didn't side with her. And finally, even though Jesus spoke harsh words, and I do think that they are a little harsh, even when he did that, she continued to believe that Jesus would heal her daughter. Again, I think Dale Bruner reveals the heart of this story. Jesus' presence, silence, and enigmatic speech, slim as they may seem to us, were broad enough for a woman with desperate faith to bank her life on. Faith believes Jesus is good even when reason is not so sure. Whatever Jesus' prior sentences meant, and we are not sure what they meant, she is sure of this. Jesus is moving toward her. He did not dismiss her as the disciples had asked him to do. She refuses to look at the shadow side of Jesus' remarks. Instead, she grasps at what he did not say in what he did say. He has not said, go away. He did not say no. Faith is holding on to Jesus for dear life like a drowning person to a life raft, believing that Jesus is good when his words are not clear or even not seemingly good. That is the definition of faith. And this definition of faith, believing that Jesus is good always, does not mean that we simply ignore the harsh words and actions of Jesus throughout the scriptures or try to make them something they aren't. This woman in our story continue to engage with Jesus. She did not walk away. She persisted. And similarly in our Hebrew First Testament story, Jacob continued to wrestle with this manifestation of God until he received a blessing from God. Rather than leading us to ignore those words that don't match our understanding of Jesus. Faith leads us to confront them directly, to wrestle with them until God's love is revealed to us. Our understanding of what love is may change, but faith trusts that Jesus is always good. Janine Brown, a New Testament scholar from Bethel University in Minnesota, sums up things for us with this. In the end, we do not need to domesticate Jesus in these particular moments where Jesus does not quite fit our stereotypes or make, or even to, we don't need to make them more palatable. In this story, Jesus does provide healing from a Gentile in spite of missional constraints. And he does so because he sees an amazing display of faith from this Canaanite woman. And that is the message of this passage. Trust in Jesus. Trust in him and bring your needs to the one who is Israel's Messiah. Then uh, Janine Brown follows that with an illustration from C.S. Lewis's Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. And I know many of you are going to recognize this scene, but it's perfect for 
this particular topic. Lucy, a child who has recently arrived in Narnia, asks Mr. and Mrs. Beaver about Aslan, the liar, the liar, <laughs> Aslan, the lion, excuse me, sorry. Uh, she, Lucy asks, is he quite safe? I feel I shall rather, I, I, sh I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and make no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than me or else just silly. Uh, then he isn't safe, asked Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he is good. Of course he isn't safe, but he is good. The essence of Christian faith is us believing that Jesus, his words and his actions aren't always safe or comfortable, but that Jesus is always good and loving. Thanks be to God.